This show is not a substitute for professional counseling and no relationship is created between the show hosts or guests and any listener. If you feel you are in need of professional mental health and are a UA student, we encourage you to contact the UA Counseling Center at 348-3863. If you are not a UA student, please contact your respective county's crisis service hotline or their local mental health agency or insurance company. If it is an emergency situation, please call 911 or go to your nearest emergency room. time again for Brain Matters, the official radio show of the UA Counseling Center. We are broadcasting from the campus of the University of Alabama. Good evening. My name is Dr. BJ Gunther, and I'm the host of the show, along with my co-host and Counseling Center colleague, Katherine Howell. In case you don't know, this show is about mental and physical health issues that affect college students, and in particular, UA students. And you can listen to us each Tuesday night at 6 p.m. on 90.7 FM or online at www.wb uafm.ua.edu or you can also download the crimson white app and click on the 90.7 live streaming link so if you have um any ideas for upcoming shows i always ask this for my listeners if you have any ideas for upcoming shows that have to do with college mental health please email those to me at brain matters radio at wvuafm.ua.edu and of course i will consider using your show topic and i'll try to give out this um email periodically throughout the show um for those people who are listening and want to email email ideas to me tonight show is a very serious topic not that they're not all serious topics to me but this one um, is very important in what I do because sometimes it is a matter of life and death and there are specific things that we have to do to address suicidal ideation tonight's show is more specifically about supporting suicidal friends. And when someone says he or she is thinking about suicide or, or says that um, they sound or they sound as if a, they're a person who is considering suicide, it can be very upsetting. And you may not be sure of what to do to help or whether you should take that talk of suicide seriously or if your intervention might make the situation worse um, and taking action is always the best choice so that's why I have my guest on the show tonight to help us out and my first guest tonight is a UA student his name is Knox Taylor can I call you Knox Yes, ma'am. That's perfect. Okay. I know it's John Knox Taylor um, in your emails that we've sent back and forth to each other. Um, Tell us a little bit, Knox, about yourself, about why you're interested in the topic, um, what year you are in school, what's your major, where you're from, that that kind of information. Go ahead. Yes, ma'am. So my name is Knox Taylor. First of all, I want to say thank you for having me on the show. And I'm very excited to be here and blessed. And so I'm from a little bit, a little bit about myself. I'm from Mountain Brook, Alabama. So inside of Birmingham. So grew up not too far from here. Um, I'm a fifth year here. So I started school. My first, my freshman year was fall of 2016. Um, my major is interdisciplinary sciences, which is in the new college. So I'm studying sports marketing and sports management. Cool. Yes, ma'am. And so the reason why most important thing and the reason why I'm interested in this topic is because it's really personal for me. Um, For many years, I struggled with mental health issues. 
Um, and it got me to the point where I wasn't suicidal, but I, I know for a fact, and I believe that if I hadn't corrected uh, what was going on and made myself healthy and did the steps in order to fix my illnesses and everything, it could have gotten to that point. And I know people who have committed suicide. I know people who there's so many people close to me and students on this campus who struggle uh, with mental health. And this is an issue that I think needs to be raised awareness of on campus, not just on campus, but everywhere. So like I said, this, this issue is real personal for me. And through being on the show and through talking about it, you know, I hope I can uh, basically give hope to people that you can basically come back from these situations and come out of a dark place and not only come back from it, but you can be a much stronger and better person because of it. And I'm saying that because I believe that that's what happened to me. So we, um, and thank you again for being on the show. Also, um, we've got another guest who's going to be joining us in a few minutes. She is a colleague of mine at the counseling center. She's the coordinator for suicide prevention at the counseling center. Her name is Sarah Tarnico. So we're, we're going to ask her about her credentials, why she's interested in this topic, et cetera. The same thing when she joins us in a few minutes, but, um, Knox, can you be a little more specific about your situation without sharing too much personal information? Can you talk about how old you were um, and how long you had had thoughts of killing yourself? Well, so I, I struggled with depression and anxiety since I was, I was pretty young. Um, I would say, you know, I started experiencing depressive thoughts and moods and especially anxiety since I was probably in elementary school junior high and wow. mm -hmm. followed me That's all the way up. yeah it's a long time so i'm 23 so it followed me all the way up until the summer of 2019 so for i guess 10 years i experienced i experienced that and it got worse as i got older um did you ever get any kind of treatment oh yes ma'am so i've been through i've been through counseling uh, in Birmingham, and I've gone to the counseling center here. Okay. I had medications that I was on. Um, I had a great support system. My parents were, I have the best parents. I have the best family and friends. They were all so supportive of me. Right. Did everything they could. Um, but I can get into more of what I did to get better. But as far as hurting myself or anything, you know, I never. I'll be honest, I never envisioned or wanted to do anything like that. But I'll be, I will say that there were days where I was thinking to myself, like, I just wish this would stop. Like, I'm so yes. tired of yes. doing like this because it's been so many years. And when it's, you know, depression, anxiety was one of those things where it's hard to describe unless you've been through it. Right. And I have had people, students included, but individuals in the community who I've seen at my private practice tell me, you know, um, that they felt hopeless, that they felt like they were a burden to other people. Did you feel that way? In certain ways, yeah. And a lot of times, you know, I, my self-confidence was down. I, wasn't, I didn't feel too good about myself. You know, I like to say I was pretty much my own worst enemy. Um, you know, my background, like I said, I come from, I was so blessed growing up and still am. Um, but, did other people know Knox? Did you talk yeah. to other people about how you were feeling? Like I'm talking about point blank because some of the research that I, I mean, 
I've done a lot of research on suicide and we have a lot of training on suicide prevention. In fact, we've got a training coming up um, next Monday, actually, about suicide prevention. But what I've read, you know, a lot of times people won't talk about it directly to other people or either, like I said in the intro, um, friends or family don't take you seriously. Did you experience that? I didn't experience People not, people not taking me seriously, um, but I did. There were times where I wouldn't want to talk about it because especially as a guy, it's hard to open up about those types of emotions and feelings because you don't want to be seen as weak, yes. which is a stigma that I want to help end because yes. I'm living proof that living like that can almost kill you. Yep. Um, but I would talk to my parents about it. Not always. I would, one of the things I struggled with was open communication, but I would talk to my parents about it. Uh, I would talk to my close group of guy friends about it. Um, as far, and like I said, as far as them not taking me seriously, that was never an issue, which I'm really grateful for. Yeah. Um, but not everyone has that type of support system that I had. Um, so, which is and great. you mentioned um, treatment. You yes, even mentioned medication. Did yes, you, because it, you said it got worse over the years, did you lose hope in treatment for yourself? Did I lose hope? I wouldn't say so. I mean, the medications and the treatments I did, they did help. But my problem was is that I relied on them too much. You know, my mindset was, is whenever I went to counseling, I would say, all right, I'm going to talk to this counselor and she's going to fix my problems for me. Yeah. Or yeah. I, would, I would take the medicines that I took were Selexa, so Wellbutrin, and Xanax. And I would think those medications are going to, are going to fix my problems for right. me. Right. Never happens. Never happens. I, I always warn people. I always warn people if I make a referral for medication, I always say this is going to help you maybe 50%. I don't want you to put yeah. all your eggs in one basket because you've got to work at this too. And I guess you just didn't realize that, you know? No, I was, yeah, I was, I was young and didn't realize what it took to be and overcome something like this. Yeah. Um, I does it, can I ask you something? Does yeah. does it run in your family at all? Do you do you know where the depression you said it started at a young age? Is it genetic? Some of it is. Some of it's genetic. Um, some of it is maybe a chemical imbalance that I was told I may have had. Yeah. But the thing is, is I'm not going to put the. I'm not going to. That may have contributed to it, but I'm not going to put and make excuses right. and, and say those things are my problems. So right. I, I, mean, I could blame those things, but I'm not going to, you know, I was, I also did a lot of things that were very unhealthy myself. Um, but as far as it running in my family, a little bit to an extent. And um, what was the other question you asked? Well, um, my next question was going to be more pertaining to kids your age, you know, like when you were growing up or even when you got to college, what, what do you see? And this may be some of what you're trying to work on here at UA. What do you see as the biggest obstacle for people your age seeking help? Is, well, I'll say this. So for me, I think I can relate to a lot of people when I say this. I didn't want to speak out because I was worried what other what other people were going to I say. I think you're right. Mm -hmm. I was worried I was going to be judged. I was worried I was going to be seen as a weak, especially as a guy, kind of like I was talking earlier. Yep. I think guys have a really big problem with this. Um, I know I've said this a couple of times, but guys have a hard time communicating their emotions because, like I said, we don't want to be seen as 
less masculine, I guess, or I don't know. We're scared of being judged. Um, yeah. And, and you don't want to seem vulnerable either. Exactly. Guys you don't want to seem yeah. vulnerable at all. And, and, you know, I have had people when they've made appointments or let's say I'm speaking to a class, um, I'm speaking to a class and they ask me, uh, how many people I see, or they ask, like, are there a lot of people who come to the counseling center? And when I tell them how many people work at the counseling center, how many students we are seeing on a daily basis, it almost shocks them because they can't believe that many people are utilizing our services. In other words, I, you know, I say that to try to normalize the fact yeah. that coming to counseling is not anything to be ashamed of, right? No. And that's, that's what we're always, like, we're always, I feel like, in the years that I've worked here, that's been a constant theme over the years, you know? Yeah, I agree completely. And that's one of the things that I want to try to tell people is anyone listening, if you think you need to go to counseling, but you're thinking it makes me a bad person or makes me weak or anything, that is not the case. No, it's no. a lot of strength to admit that you need help. There's no shame in that. I, that's what I had to do. I had to go to counseling. I had to do all sorts of treatments. So if you're, out there and you're thinking to yourself you know it's embarrassing that i have to go to counseling it's not true at that's all that's true and you're a living example right exactly uh, will you hold on the line for just a minute knox we're going to take our first break and then when we come back sarah tarnico is going to be joining us and so we're going to take a quick break right now and um and be back listening to brain matters on 90.7 the capstone This show is not intended as a substitute for professional counseling. Further, the views, opinions, and conclusions expressed by the show hosts or their guests are their own and not necessarily those of the University of Alabama, its officers, or trustees. Any views, opinions, or conclusions shared on the show do not create a relationship between the host or any guest and any listener, and such a relationship should never be inferred. If you feel you're in need of professional mental health and are a UA student, please contact the UA Counseling Center at 348-3863. If you are not a UA student, please contact Contact your respective county's crisis service hotline or their local mental health agency or insurance company. If it is an emergency situation, please call 911 or go to your nearest emergency room. So we're back. You're listening to Brain Matters on 90.7 The Capstone. I'm Dr. B.J. Gunther, and we have um, one of the UA students joining us, Knox Taylor, and also our coordinator for um, suicide prevention at the Counseling Center, Sarah Tarnico. Hey, Sarah. Hey, B.J., how are you? I'm good. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, your credentials, and why you are interested in this topic? Yeah, Absolutely. Um, well, I have been at the Counseling Center for about two years now. I've been working here as a therapist and then also as suicide prevention coordinator. Um, I, my background is in social work, so I'm a licensed independent clinical social worker. Um, and really, my background is in, in child abuse and trauma, which we know um, is actually a risk factor for suicide. So um, it kind of flowed together, just, just my, my progression of, of everything. Um, and I, I felt I felt well I failed to mention when we came back from the break our show topic tonight is supporting suicidal friends and I have had in doing this show for several years we have had several shows with the topic of suicide um, just in general but we have never really been more specific 
in how to support suicidal friends. I know you probably have, um, Catherine probably has have had has had students come in to consult with us or to call us when they've been worried about a friend, and it weighs heavily on you when you feel like you're the only person who knows that your friend could possibly kill themselves, right? Absolutely, and that's that's something that I've experienced personally also. It's it's a very scary thing, and it's something that I don't want students to experience alone. No, so. no, and, and I'm, I've got a specific question about that in just a minute, but let's take the first question that I have actually written down, and I mentioned to Knox, I've done a little more research on specifically supporting suicidal friends, and I know there's a lot that you have to think about like when do you actually get professional help for your friend how much can you handle how do you get help for yourself when you're handling this because it like i said it's very stressful for the person for the friend not the person who is suicidal but the friend who's helping what are some determinants of suicidal ideation particularly within the college campus population and that either one of you can answer that well, Knox and I were actually talking about this last night, um, and Knox, feel free to jump in whenever. Um, but one thing that we both agreed on and one thing that is very much shown in the research is that it's never just one thing. Um, it's never just one thing that causes a suicide, um, or very rarely, let me say that. More often than anything, it is, it, it's a lot of things um, contributing, and it's a lot of a lot of really overwhelming things that people cannot find a way out of. Um, and it feels like this is really the only solution. Um, so it could be, it could be a lot of different things. It could be um, struggling to fit in. It could be, you know, one model of, um, of just suicidal ideation says that it's, it's perceived burdensomeness and thwarted belongingness. And so I'm going to say that again, perceived burdensomeness, so um, feeling like you were a burden to people and then thwarted belongingness, feeling like you are not connecting to others and not having that social support. Yes. Um, I think that that's two main, main ingredients for, for suicidal ideation leading to suicide, but it could be so many different factors. Um, it could be even just, um, it could be, you know, family things. Distance from, from, from family in college, um, a lot of people travel long distances um, and then struggle to make friends when they get here because in, in their heads, you know, expectations are not meeting up with, you're matching up with reality. Um, it could be a lot of different things. So. Well, and, and, and I'm going to jump in on before Knox answers that when we were talking before you joined us, you know, he said his family was very supportive and he was blessed and very fortunate um, to have the support. And I have heard people who, who I've talked to who have been suicidal, they almost feel guilty because they don't really feel like, oh, I shouldn't have a reason to feel this way, but they can't help it. They do. They do feel that way. You know, Knox, can, you're shaking your head. Can you relate to that? Absolutely. Because the way I think about it is like how, how you're talking about how I said I was blessed and everything, which I am. And like, when you look at my situation on the surface, you would think of me anything. This guy has everything going for him, which in a lot of ways I did. Like I said, great family, great place growing up, awesome friends. You know, I, I held, I had great jobs. I lived, you know, going to school in Tuscaloosa 
I was in a great fraternity, all these things. So like, you can't just judge someone's mental health by the persona and the facade that they put on on the surface. Right. Um, because like, that's what I try to do. I tried to hide it by putting on, I tried to smile and tried to hide, hide it. Some days I could, and some days I struggle with hiding those emotions and dealing with those things. So I guess my point is saying that um, you never know. I mean, just because someone is smiling and looks great on the surface, that's right. inside they could be going through something uh, really hurtful and really detrimental to them. So I mean, that's you just never know. You never know, and that's the scary part. In fact, one of the, and we're going to talk a little more. I'm going to let y'all talk about the warning signs for people. But one of the warning signs that terrifies me, and I'm not going to lie, and I tell people who are sitting in my office um, back in the old days when people could sit in my office. Um, <laughs> that it scares me because I feel like there are some people, one of the warning signs is um, getting in a better mood before you actually make the decision to kill yourself. Because I think you have come to the conclusion there is a solution and I'm happy about it, you know? And that is terrifying for me because at that point, how can you recognize if you don't know, uh, if you don't have the expertise if you are a friend um, and you don't recognize this and then the person actually does follow through, um, you feel terrible because you feel like you should have seen the signs. Yeah, we call that, you know, the difference between the seven week warning signs and the seven day warning signs. And that's something that isn't really talked about very often, but it's that relief that is found like, oh my gosh, I'm feeling so much better. and so many people have been there and have seen that, um, have seen the, the, the relief and really have, have thought that things have been improving right before things got significantly worse. Yes. So pay attention to that. Absolutely. If, if you know that a friend has been really struggling and all of a sudden they are in a completely different mood and they are doing really, really well, definitely pay attention. What before um, we move on, and I think Catherine may have a question after this, but let's just go right into some of the warning signs for you. Um, you know, Knox, you've already kind of talked about a few, but give me some more of what people should have been looking for. My biggest thing would be isolation. That's the number one thing that I did was I would isolate myself from people. You know, I wouldn't answer the phone. You know, I wouldn't talk to my parents. I wouldn't talk to my friends. And they noticed. Another big thing is abusing alcohol or drugs. Thankfully, I never did that. Um, but those two would probably be my main, my main things. For me, like I said, the biggest thing that I, that I tried to cope with um, my illnesses was withdrawing and isolating from everybody. So isolation. What about sadness? Overall, just sadness, low motivation, low energy. Definitely. And one thing, what, what I would do is when I would isolate myself is I wouldn't stay busy. Um, I would sleep a lot. I wouldn't get out of bed. I remember there were plenty of times where I would stay in bed and I wouldn't go to class for a couple of days at a time because it's, it's hard to describe that feeling, but there were times where I was literally like, I just can like, I literally cannot get out of bed. It's so, no, I believe it's so, you. so weird. And like people may listening may say like, how does that even happen? But it, unless you've been through something like that, it's hard to describe. But I've actually had to go to, to students' apartments, houses, and dorm rooms to, to get them out of their 
because I was so concerned and, and they would not come out and we'd have to get them treatment and get them help. So yes, I totally understand that. But some people really probably can't relate to that. Have, did you ever have people, sidebar, did you ever have people or friends who didn't understand what you were going through and they would say things to you like, well, you just need to do this or you just need to do that. And I know they were trying to help you, but they didn't understand the depth of how you were feeling and they thought maybe one activity could make it better. Yeah, there were, yes, ma'am, there were a few times, um, but it was all out of them wanting to help me, but people aren't educated enough on this issue, issue, which is unfortunate because a lot of times I say is like, if this issue is personal to you, you're gonna have more empathy towards someone who's going like this and you're gonna yeah. understand some understand what they're going through. Um, Especially but, if it's happened to you. Yeah, absolutely. Or it's happened to people you know and love. Um, but I've had times where I've had people say, just like snap out of it or oh, yeah. what, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And you're like, I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, like I wish I could communicate what's going on to them, but like it's so hard to. But yeah. you know, when those incidents happen, I, I don't feel any bad feelings towards them or anything like that because people just don't they really, just don't know. Mm -hmm. They just don't know, and that's not their fault. And um, a lot of times, if they can't relate, people have a hard times, a hard time empathizing. You know, they just yeah, they can't help it. You know, absolutely, especially on suicide. Sarah and I were t suicide. Sarah and I were talking about this last night. We were saying how I think it, there's basically two sides of how people feel towards suicide. Those who have either experienced it or know people close to them who have experienced something like this will be way more empathetic and try to understand. And they'll say, oh, yeah. they won't say like that person's selfish or why, why would they do that? What's wrong with them? Um, for me, when I think about, when I hear about people committing suicide, I mean, obviously it breaks my heart, but it's also like, I can understand as to how you would get to a place like that. Exactly. Or exactly. it feels like that's the only option, but it's not. Um, but that's what is so tough probably the toughest thing to me about suicide and mental health is it's so hard for people to understand and relate to it unless you've been through it personally. Right. Sarah, did you want to say something about the warning signs? Um, I'm sorry. I've been having some technical issues, but um, yeah, no, it sounds like y'all have covered a lot of this. Um, it, and the really, the hardest thing, well, as far as warning signs go, um, picking up on them is so so important and it's so difficult a lot of times um but recognizing those clues um recognizing when people are, are struggling and it's just struggling in general um it could be even just increased substance use um it could be just depression having trouble getting out of bed in this or just not like like not just not seeing that person around you yes. know they're, they're skipping classes or i mean i've even had professors call because they're concerned i mean this is oh yeah this is a good professor that notices when a student is not coming to class and maybe that's getting up into your business a little too much i know but some professors know their students very well and they know when something is not right. Absolutely. And we want professors to notice yeah. that too. Yeah. We want professors to notice and to, to really do exactly what that one did and call, call the counseling center. That's so, so good on them. 
So I had a quick question. So, you know, we're talking a lot about the signs and how isolation is a big one and some of the determinants of suicide being not connecting, but how is kind of the change or the world of COVID with quarantine and people not being able to connect or see people in person change some of those signs or what can we look for that's different for friends? Sure. Well, that's a really good question. Um, and COVID has obviously changed the way that we relate to each other and to the world in general. Um, you know, I think that initially when all of this started happening um, and even research backs this, um, and then the initial couple months of the pandemic, people were actually doing better, a lot of them. They were doing really well and they were wanting to, um, to, to reach out, to volunteer, to help people as much as they could. Um, the crisis text line had like a record number of volunteers. Um, but then, and people were finding meaning in that. But I think as, as it has, has progressed and as it's gone on and just continued, um, things have gotten worse. And so um, I think that just, just paying attention, connecting with people in any way that you can, um, even if that's just a, a quick text message, but checking in on your friends is really, really important. If you're noticing even on social media that, that they're maybe making some, some concerning statements or um, maybe engaging in social media differently, pay attention to that sort of stuff as well. One of the things to piggyback on that, one of the things that I had written down to ask either one of you is, I have students who are concerned about their friend, but they're worried that if they reach out or if they tell me the friend's name, for instance, or uh, they worry that that friend is going to get mad or it's going to cause conflict. Knox, did you have anybody confront you um, like this? And did you get mad at them? How did you handle that? Yeah. So I had uh, during college, there were several instances where I had close friends of mine uh, come up to me, reach out to me, or reach out to my my family, and because they were worried about me. So a lot of times wow. it was my friends. I've also had obviously my parents confront me. I never really got mad because I knew that they were just trying to help me. Um, thankfully, I was able to understand that. But you know, I could see why a lot of people would get defensive when they're asked about that. Um, but yes, ma'am, I had, yeah, I had a lot of close friends of mine come up to me. They would kind of just kind of try to figure out what was going on. And sometimes I would brush it off and act, play it off like nothing's going on because I didn't want to talk about it. Right. But honestly, just the, what really helped me though, is just the fact of them reaching out to me. Even if I didn't want to talk about it, just the simple fact of them reaching That's out right. to me helped me so much. Um, it didn't really solve any of my problems or anything, but you were just talking about checking on people. You and Sarah were talking about, about that. I think that is so powerful. Because um, like I said, you know, I, like I was saying, I had great friends who I love to death. Um, that would always check on me, told, told me they, lo they love me, stuff like that, which helped me a great deal. But I never, the way I responded usually was I'd play it off like nothing is wrong. Yeah. Yeah. For, for people who are listening that may be um, not really knowing what to do, what are, I'm going to go in opposite direction for a minute. What are some statements that you shouldn't, shouldn't say to people? What are some of the statements, Knox, that people would say to you that were hurtful? Yeah. Uh, what's your problem? Why are you, what's wrong with you? Why are you doing this? Snap out of it. Um, 
those things would make would frustrate me because if it was as simple as just snapping out of it, yes, you would do it. People wouldn't be dying from this. No, no Not, one wants to be depressed. Yeah, you know? no, one, no one chooses chooses to suffer suffer from these things, and that's one thing that I don't think people understand is. This is a legit illness. It's not something you choose uh, to have. Um, but I think, like, shoot. Well, and I think, you know, this is an illness. This this is a dis- disease or, or an illness or an issue. I don't know what you want to title it. Um, a disorder that can destroy you. Absolutely. We, we, as counselors, we deal with many other issues like obsessive compulsive disorder, um, anxiety, sleeping problems, stress management. Those things are not going to kill you. But depression can kill you. Yeah, yeah it just. We ha- you know, we have to really take it seriously and listen to people like you who've experienced it and come actually so close. I know. Yeah. I mean, those things, I mean, I'm a living testament of that. Those things destroyed me for years. Thankfully, my it never cost me my life, but I believe that if I didn't fix myself, it yeah. could have potentially gotten to that point with some of the things that I've been through. Um, but yeah, I agree. I agree completely. You know, Sarah, you mentioned models of suicide prevention a few minutes yeah. ago, um, and there's various models, and I did not, I guess I'd, Maybe I realized this, but I guess I should. There's a lot. There's a lot. And I'm sure there's new ones that I'm not even aware of. What are some of your favorite or your fav- or your favorite model? And describe it and tell us why. Sure. Well, um, the one I mentioned earlier is actually the Joiner model um, of suicidal ideation. So that that's a very, um, I think it's a good succinct model that um, I think a lot of people who experience suicidal ideation can relate to. Um, as far as suicide prevention, my favorite model is the zero suicide model. This is an, um, it's an international initiative. Um, what people found, and this actually started in healthcare, um, and what people were finding was that initially, um, well, people who would go on to attempt suicide, they would go and visit their primary care doctor or the emergency room, I believe within 60 or 90 days of going and actually attempting. And so what they were wanting to do was make it more standardized. They were wanting to bridge those gaps, make it standardized so that every single time a person presented in, um, in the doctor's office, they're being asked these questions. They're being assessed for suicidal ideation. Um, and what they found was when this was implemented, numbers dropped drastically. Obviously, zero suicide, that is um, aspirational. Um, That is something that we we aspire to. Um, And hopefully one day we will get there. Um, But it's kind of in the same way that um, a pilot uses um, a checklist before they take off. It's the same kind of thing. We want it to be just so routine that we just, we go through it every single time. Um, And it just becomes part of every single appointment. Um, this is something that we're trying to bring to the University of Alabama um, through Tide Against Suicide. This is something that is um, we're using. Um, we're, we're getting we're making it more routine for students to check in on each other. We want to make it more routine for um, even when you go to the student health center and that that sort of thing. You are being asked these questions and people are making it more common to discuss. Sure. Uh, let's take another quick break. 
when we come back from this break, this will be our final segment. I want to talk more, Sarah, about what we're doing on this campus to prevent suicide and to support suicidal friends. And Knox, I want to find out what you've done to recover, okay? So we're going to take a break right now. When we come back, you'll be listening to Brain Matters on 90.7 The Capstone. This show is not a substitute for professional counseling and no relationship is created between the show hosts or guests and any listener. If you feel you are in need of professional mental health and are a UA student, we encourage you to contact the UA Counseling Center at 348-3863. If you are not a UA student, please contact your respective county's crisis service hotline or their local mental health agency or insurance company. If it is an emergency situation, please call 911 or go to your nearest emergency room. listening to Brain Matters on 90.7 The Capstone. I'm Dr. B.J. Gunther, and tonight we're talking about supporting suicidal friends. My guest is the coordinator for suicide prevention for the Counseling Center here on campus, Sarah Tarnico, and we have a UA student, Knox Taylor. He is a fifth-year, I guess, senior, right? Yes, ma'am, that's right. He'll be graduating in May 2021? Yes, ma'am, finally. Right. <laughs> finally, right? <laughs> Can't wait! Can't wait! I'm looking forward to it. When we took off for the for the um for this last break, um, I mentioned beforehand that we were going to talk about what we're doing on this campus to prevent suicide. So, Sarah, talk a little bit about that because I know back in the spring we had scheduled this show um, after spring break, and then COVID hit. We had to cancel everything. Our lives changed forever, and um, you had to cancel the Out of the Darkness Suicide Walk, and also it take place um, in the fall either. Is that correct? Right. So in the spring, we um, I have a group of students, um, students tied against suicide, and they were um, planning a really incredible event. Um, we were talking about ways to unplug and ways to um, really just to get away from social media and then ways to use um, social media in positive ways. Um, to prevent suicide, to spread suicide awareness, and to check in on friends. Right. Um, and so that was what was happening in the spring. And then in the fall, yes, um, the official Out of the Darkness Walk is canceled in person. However, it is turned into a virtual experience across the entire state. So we'll talk, um, about, gonna... talk about that. How do, people, yeah. how do people who are interested get involved in that? And um, what's going to take place? Yeah. Um, okay, so with the Out of the Darkness experience, it actually kicked off this past Saturday, um, and there was a Zumba class that was virtual, um, and people across the state, like I was doing it with people who were in Dothan and people who were up in, in Huntsville and over in Montgomery. Um, it was pretty cool just everybody getting together. There's going to be a calendar of events. So throughout the entire, the entire fall semester, essentially, we're going to be having different events. So um, Tuscaloosa is going to host a Tuscaloosa experience, and then Huntsville will, will host their own. And just across the state, we'll have different things. Um, essentially, just raising awareness for suicide and being able to come together and just celebrate life together, too. Um, and so it's all going to culminate on the 11th or the 8th of November, I believe. Okay. And there's going to be um, statewide, we're calling it just the main event, the main experience. Yeah. And there will be um, a full ceremony that will be um, live streamed. 
But even still, we are still creating teams. We're still raising okay. money for American Foundation of Suicide Prevention, um, all of that. And so if you're interested in getting connected, um, you can actually even Google AFSP um, out of the darkness experience, and it'll connect you to the Tuscaloosa one. Um, so you can get registered. Um, and then you can also contact me if you have any questions as well. Because you I'm mentioned you mentioned Tide Against Suicide. Is this something yeah. that any student can get involved with? Absolutely, yes. Um, Tide Against Suicide is for all students. And there's actually, that's the student version. There's also um, a faculty and staff version as well. Um, the students are actually in the process of becoming a registered student organization through the source. Oh, good. Um, okay. Yeah, we have, um, Knox is actually, he's our, um, our public re relations director. And um, so we have a, a group of exec staff and we also, or exec students. And then we also have, um, I believe last time we checked, it was about 30 students that are involved in this. We plan um, events every semester and that sort of thing, so. So there's plenty of opportunity to get involved, you know. This, Absolutely. There's never yes. been anything, in all the years I've worked here, there's never really been anything this proactive, you know, for suicide prevention. So I think it's helping and working, I hope. Um, and I think, to get yeah. Students to come out and get more help if they need it. Absolutely. And even during this time, I was talking to Knox about this last night, but during the pandemic, students are even more interested in getting involved in these sort of things. Good. It seems like mental health and suicide awareness has become kind of the forefront of a lot of people's minds. Um, and so it's been really interesting just seeing how many people have wanted to get involved. Yes. Um, I've had a lot more interest lately than I have in, in previous semesters, which is exciting. It's exciting. It's good. Um, yeah. Knox, you know, she, I think she just answered my question, but because I was going to ask, what are you doing on campus to help prevent suicide? Because of your um, personal experience, I'm sure you're sharing your stories with your your story with other people, other students. But she just said you're the PR person for um, the organization. So how does that feel? It's amazing. You know, I never thought I would be put in into a position like this. You know, if you told me a year or two ago that you would be the PR for this type of organization, I would have thought you were crazy. Um, so it's a true blessing. I can't thank Sarah and Davis Silver enough for allowing me to be this. Um, but I'm just hoping that through doing that, I can share my story and the process of what I did to get better with others because I think that's probably the best thing that I can do. And how, did, how did you get better, Knox? What, what changed? Yeah. What was yeah. it that turned it around? Yeah, so – I'll kind of, I'm going to, so let's go to May 2019 uh, was kind of when it, everything started for me. And up to Last this point, year. Yes, ma'am. So at this point, I had experienced some pretty devastating things due to mental health, whether it be uh, going to the hospital for panic attacks, pulling a gun on myself, oh. failing out of school, death in my family, uh, just a lot, a lot of things getting fired from jobs, just a lot of things had built up to this point and I had no idea. I never solved any of those things. I never knew how to move on from them. And it was basically destroying me along with just the everyday battle of fighting depression and anxiety. Yes. Um, so what I did was I came to the realization of just thinking like, is this really just gonna be my life for the rest? Is my life just gonna continue on this downward spiral? And I was thinking, you know, if I didn't fix my problems and fix myself 
something really bad was going to happen. And I started to think ahead, you know, what if, what would happen if I was a dad or, if, or a husband or things yes. like that? And I came to the conclusion that I wouldn't be a very good one to say the least. So those were kind of two things that I really thought about. Um, what specifically I did was, is I want to give a special thank you to the counselor I saw, Michael King in Tuscaloosa, and another guy I saw, Dr. Greg Evans. I did biofeedback therapy, yes. which was amazing. So I did those Greg's two things. actually been on my show. He was, I think yeah, he was he on is, the show last fall. He is, out, he is the man, and he uh, biofeedback therapy helped me very much. Um, but the biggest thing I want to tell people is that don't blame anything or anyone else for your problems, which is what I used to do. I used to, I didn't take responsibility for my mental health. I tried to rely on everything else to fix my problems, right. which never happened. Um, and once I came to the realization, actually that mindset kind of st- kick started from my brother sending me Sarah and I, I've talked to Sarah about this guy, um, Sarah, this guy that I saw on YouTube on a podcast, his name is David Goggins. Um, hearing his story changed my life because it's exactly what I need. It's the, he helped give me the mindset of what I needed in terms of taking ownership and responsibility and discipline for your life, uh, not blaming anyone. Uh, I had to learn how to forgive people, learn how to forgive myself for some of the things that I'd done, learn how to forgive others. And Basically, I had to take a very difficult approach and just realizing that if I'm going to come out of this, I'm going to have to put in a lot of work. I can't yes. just rely on the thing. This is kind of cheesy, but the analogy I like to say is when you're struggling in a class or you have a test coming up, you know, you'll go to, you can go to a tutor to help you study and they can help you prepare for the test, but they can't take the test for you. That sounds cheesy. I know, but I used to, I I used to pretty much rely on my medication. Um, you know, my parents, whoever, whoever the outside external source was to fix me and it never happened, uh, from a face standpoint. Um, I used to just want God just to snap his fingers and fix his, my problems for me. And I never understood why he didn't. Yes. Um, that was realizing that was a big thing for me because I realized that going through everything I did and coming out on the other side of it, I'm much better for it. Um, but again, specifically what I did, there were little things too. Uh, one thing I try to tell people exercise is huge. Um, my alarm clock goes off at four in the morning, five days a week to go oh run. My gosh. I know. Um, so that's big. Staying busy, giving yourself a routine when you're busy and you have a goal and you're working towards something that helps yes. a lot. Yes. Reading is huge. I try to read every day. Um, and just discipline is huge. You know, I would say the three biggest things for me were just learning how to discipline myself, taking ownership, responsibility, and forgiveness were probably the biggest components of me getting better. And through that, I was able to not only come out on top of this, but I was actually able to turn this into a good thing. And, you know, when I got better, things started really clicking for me, kind of July, I would say July, 2019. Um, And I was thinking to myself, you know, I believe we all get put through really tough things in this life for a purpose. And I believe that God put me through allowed me to go through this 
through what I did, battling depression, battling anxiety, experiencing some really terrible things um, so I could help others. That's why I'm doing this. Um, So that's kind of, I guess, kind of an essence of what I did to get better. And, you know, same thing with Sarah and myself. We may not, the three of us, we may not know how much we are helping other people. You may never see that. You yeah. may never know the impact that your words have, but you have to try. And I thank you for that. I appreciate you for that. Cause I know this takes probably a lot of your time, you know, not just being on the show, but with tied against um tied against suicide, that takes up a lot of your time. And I know you're a senior trying to graduate, but there will be a benefit to this. It probably has already, you have probably already had people tell you, thank you for reaching out to me or thank you for sharing your story with me because you're right. It's not easy to do that. And it does make you vulnerable. Um, and you're just out there, you know, when you tell your story, right? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. 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 You know, you're, you're out there, you're vulnerable, you're exposed, but if you, if I feel like if I wasn't willing to do that, you know, who else would do it? That's I right. feel like someone's got to try to step up to the plate. And I believe that's what we're called to do. I believe that we're here, we're here to help others and serve others any way we can. And that's what I'm trying to do. Um, that's what, that's what we're all trying to do right now. Aren't we? Oh yeah. Thank you so much, both of you for being on the show. Um, I've got a few things to read before I close the show out, but I really appreciate it. And, um, and I know Thank this you. is going to help other people, hopefully. It's a good, this is a good show to start out the fall with. We are so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having us. I really appreciate it. You're Thank welcome. You don't forget, don't forget our shows are recorded and podcasted and they're on the audioboom.com website. Just type in Brain Matters and you'll see our shows pop up and you can listen to our shows um, through that website. You can also click on the counseling.ua.edu and it has a link to um, get you to the Audioboom website. I want to mention that the Counseling Center offers QPR training upon request. QPR stands for questions persuade and refer three steps anyone can learn to help prevent suicide do your part and in two short hours learn the warning signs for suicide and three simple skills of how to intervene and save someone's life who is suicidal to sign up for the free qpr gatekeeper training for suicide prevention for your department or individually or if you have any questions about qpr please contact the counseling center at 205-348-3863 and remember just like cpr QPR is an emergency response to someone in crisis and can save lives. And I always like to thank a few people who've made the show possible. Of course, our uh, executive director at the Counseling Center, Dr. Greg Vanderwall, Terry Siggers from the Office of Student Media, my co-host and my production assistant tonight is Catherine Howell, and my colleagues at the Counseling Center, the WBUA staff, and my guest tonight, Sarah Tarnico and Knox Taylor. Don't forget, we'll be on again next week. Join us. Our topic is going to be an interesting topic i've been waiting for this one a long time children of hoarders so um tune in next week at six o'clock on tuesday night thanks again for listening to brain matters and good night
This show is not intended as a substitute for professional counseling. Further, the views, opinions, and conclusions expressed by the show hosts or their guests are their own and not necessarily those of the University of Alabama, its officers, or trustees. Any views, opinions, or conclusions shared on the show do not create a relationship between the host or any guest and any listener, and such a relationship should never be inferred. If you feel you are in need of professional mental health and are a UA student, please contact the UA Counseling Center at 348-3863. If you are not a UA student, please contact your respective county's crisis service hotline or their local mental health agency or insurance company. If it is an emergency situation, please call 911 or go to your nearest emergency room.